<laughs> Good morning, Chapel Hill. I love doing these. This is so much fun. <laughs> if it could only be just like that in our neighborhoods. All right, I am going to invite the Hubers and the Tomerdals to come up. And while they do, uh, men, let me just talk to you about Steak Sizzle uh, because it is different this year. And I want to make sure that um, that here in the midst of our, our sermon series on outreach, we've taken away the outreach aspect of the Steak Sizzle. doesn't really fit, does it? <laughs> well, that's. Uh, l- let me just clarify that a little bit. Um, first of all, this whole series obviously is focused on outreach, and so we know that men, we are talking to you as well here, so that's part of it. Also, um, there's another event that you're going to see advertised called Arise with the Guys um, that is a really great opportunity. I talked about it last year when I went and I took my boys. It's a fantastic opportunity to bring somebody to see some sports personalities that have faith and will share their testimony, so look for details on that as well. And then when we come to the sizzle, the sizzle, guys, I just, I want to talk to you. I want to spend some time talking to you. There are some things that I think we need to just get out in the open and talk about. And this is not one of those uh, things where we come as men and we hear another great thing that we ought to be doing. And we walk away with a heavier burden than we had before because we're like, I'm not doing that. I really should be doing that. That's not what this is about. Um, we're just going to take some time together to have some very honest conversation about who we are and where we're at and what we as men are facing in this day and age. And in this culture, this is a very important conversation. So I hope that you guys will come and, um, and we'll just get into that conversation together. So Marcus, I'm going to give this to you. This is Marcus and Jillian Hubers, Paul and Kelly Tomerdahl. And uh, as we've been talking about neighborhood outreach, we talked last week about trying some different things in your neighborhood to meet your neighbors, to connect with your neighbors. And these two couples are going to share a little bit about what's been going on in their neighborhoods as they've tried these things, as, uh, uh, as we've been trying this, experimenting in a bunch of neighborhoods. So um, Hubers, I'll have you go first. Talk about what you tried and what God did with it. Yeah, so we uh, we hosted last August the the I still call it National Night Out. Now it's Night to Unite in our neighborhood, and we have been living in our neighborhood for nine years, nine years years now. And the first few years we were there, somebody else was doing it down at the end of the street, and it hasn't it hadn't been done for like five years. And so we said, let's give it a try. (laughs) And we registered with the city, and we got the sign, and. and so we had it on a Tuesday night in August from 6 to 9 o'clock. And I think the first people came at like 6.45. So we thought this was like not going to happen. And, um, but it happened in a big way. It, it, you know, we, I think we invited everybody on our street, everybody on the Smith Street. And I think we, you know, maybe 60 or 70 invitations went out. We put them in mailboxes. And... Um, you know what i guess what we learned in all of this is just our neighborhood really need needs and desires that this sense of community you know we uh, we knew a few of our neighbors um right around us um and then you know surprisingly most of those neighbors didn't come <laughs> and it was it was you know it was all these other families that we had no idea who they were and for, you know, we have a seven-year-old daughter, and we didn't think we had any other kids her age around us. <laughs> well, they, it was just the Smith kids. It was just the Smiths. Yeah, Smith. <laughs> Thank you. 
But they came out of the, I mean, they came out, they were, I want to say came out of the woodwork. They came out of the woodwork. I mean, right? <laughs> there were all these young, fa- you know, families our age with kids and um, everybody loved it. And it was, it was great, cool. you know? And so I, I think our next steps are to do it again uh, next year. And, uh, you know, I'd love to, we'd love to get a directory going somehow in our neighborhood or, you know, kind of keep, keep it going, keep it together. Cool. Simple thing. There was kind of, it was kind of laid out for you. You just yeah. step into that role. Uh, yeah. And, for the yeah. most part, you just, we just kind of opened our yard <laughs> to yep. our neighbors basically. Yeah. Now you got connections so, all over the place and yeah. something to build on. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Tom Rudolph, talk about your experiences. Yeah. So our neighborhood, when we moved in, uh, we quickly discovered that there were people that lived in the neighborhood that had, that had lived there longer than we'd been alive. <laughs> we had a number of those. We had, Widow, single, elderly, um, not that many kids. So it was a little bit more of, oh, well, this will be interesting. That's kind of natural icebreaker, especially um, with our oldest that likes to wander around and meet people. But <laughs> we actually ended up um, connecting to, through some, to some neighbors through just spending time. I know one that I'm um, thinking of particularly that out in the yard doing yard work, started some conversations. Summer ran over and talked to him. He's an individual who's... Older, single guy, doesn't have anyone to talk to. Mm. Quickly became apparent that once we had him over, we had actually some things in common, and he talked nonstop, and it was great, and there was no <laughs> awkwardness whatsoever. It was nice. a lot more of a, um, a relationship-building time that we didn't even imagine would happen, and that happened with another couple down the street that we didn't know we invited him over for dinner we looked at each other like this could be really awkward Mm -hmm. we have no idea what this (laughs) is going to be and it ended up being another great opportunity to connect you know we connected on social media now with them and i know that sounds all new and technologically advanced to some people but that's another way that we keep in touch with what's going on with our neighbors and then kelly has a few other things that we've done Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing for us was small things, and I just absolutely love this whole series, and I think a lot of the things that Paul said last time were just uh, things that have really worked well, like food. <laughs> I mean, inviting people for dinner, baking extra. We, My kids love to bake, so cupcakes, we don't want to eat them all, and so we run them over to the neighbors, and it's an excuse to go knock on someone's door that really doesn't come out of the house that much. Um, we do have a lot of those that kind of just keep to themselves that are older, and so my kids love delivering cupcakes and cookies so they go do that a lot bringing people stuff that we've baked whatever um and i loved pastor paul's ideas from last time about helping people and having it be a two-way street um and so i think when you ask people for help then they feel more comfortable to ask you back um you know our oven broke when we were halfway through making muffins and they don't cook so well if you let them sit so we ran over and used someone's oven great chance to chat with them and back and forth sharing eggs and flour just like you said i think it's really important to connect that way Um, i think one of the biggest things for us like paul kind of touched on was um connecting with people through media or social media texting phone and pastor paul's idea about getting a directory and that sort of thing and well we haven't done that um getting people's phone numbers and emails has been huge for us because a lot more people are more comfortable sharing that way and um so we've gotten gotten a lot of phone numbers and emails over the years through some random ways. The funniest one was when I was out raking leaves and I dropped my phone in the leaf 
pile and I couldn't find it. So I had to run to the neighbor to ask him to call it and I quick saved the number. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> and I've actually used that so many times because I don't think that neighbor would have shared that number. And um, we text back and forth and through that I found out about her struggle with cancer and now um, going through it, bringing them meals. And we have connected so much through that number and really that is how I got it. Um, and a lot of other random ways too. One of the hugest one was um, one of our neighbors was on bed rest with a baby um, and we didn't know that because we never saw her and we're out walking, chatted with the husband and um, ended up getting her cell phone number so we could kind of connect with her that way and ended up throwing her a baby shower with the neighborhood which, like I said, our neighborhood is not connected. No one knows each other. Um, so my first response back was from a neighbor who said, oh, I don't know her. I'm not going to go, even though she was right next door. I was like, oh, maybe this won't work so well. But we ended up having 12 ladies come over, and I got so many contact information through RSVPs. So I have their emails and their phones because they RSVP that they were coming, and emailed back and forth with another elderly gal and heard her whole life story. She just wrote it all out. And um, so we have a lot of contact that way, even though they don't really come out of their house much, we do connect that way. So. Nice. Beautiful. Thank you, you guys. You can go and be seated. Just great examples of, of doing simple things, taking advantage of simple opportunities to connect, to bring your neighbors together. And, and God does things with that. And, and it is that, that reality that there is a desire for community there. And all it takes is just some little steps on our part to make those connections happen. And, and I just love what God is doing with this in, in a number of households in this church and and um, and some of you have been doing this for years and you know you know that experience you know what it is to just see God open a door make a connection and um, and what can happen through that and we'll continue to look at those things last week we talked about some of these things if you if you weren't here we talked about meeting our neighbors and connecting with our neighbors and and if you remember I talked about that idea of asking for help that Kelly was referring to how that opens up a, a two-way relationship relationship in a lot of cases and I talked about our next door neighbor and how he helped us out when we were in a jam. And so I want to give you just a little update on things that are happening in our neighborhood uh, related to that. And so Mark, give me the next slide. <laughs> so, so my kids are creating opportunities for us to continue to ask of our neighbors things that we need. This was, this was one of my other sons yesterday, and I went out and played with them, and I was the goalie. I put on all the pads and the mask and all the gear and everything, um, but they went out to to get set up and get ready for me. And before I could get out there, um, my, one of my sons comes through the front door and, and the first thing out of his mouth is, was, it was a deflection. It deflected. It was, I did, it was, it wasn't me. It deflected. Otherwise it wasn't, he was just, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I caught on. I'm like, oh man, here we go. <laughs> I had these great plans of like putting this screen over the windows so that this wouldn't happen again. And I also went out before that and moved the net away from the front of the garage so that we could play off to the side a little bit more. And my other son, who took out the window the first time, comes out there and goes, why is the net over here? And moves it all the way back in front of the garage. <laughs> that was it. Like, first shot through the glass, and away we go again. <laughs> so... Yep, so we're growing. We, uh, we have deep needs in our neighborhood, and they're mostly at our house. So, <laughs> 
All right, if you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one because we're going to go through uh, a really fast race through the life of the Apostle Paul through some of his writings. And so if you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will give you a Bible that you can use. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles to use and you don't have currently a Bible of your own, please just keep the one that you get. And um, I, I trust that you will enjoy digging into it with us this morning. So going back to uh, last week, we worked our way through uh, the first four steps. We had done two the week before and two last week, and we talked about the first four steps of this journey that we're on to reach into our neighborhoods with the love of Christ. And we looked uh, two weeks ago at praying for our neighborhood and then at mapping our neighborhood, identifying a territory. Um, Then last week, we talked about meeting our neighbors and lots of different ways that we can do that. You heard more ideas this morning on how that can happen. And then connecting with our neighbors, going a little deeper in the relationship to where it does become a community. There's there's a, an interdependence there. And all these things are great. And now this week, we come to what I call the crucible. This is an incredibly important place for us to be at. Because what we need to address is the idea of loving our neighbors. We can work on all these first four steps and and be very good at it and do some great things and create a sense of community and let people know that we care about them and and identify them and know them and listen to them and all that kind of stuff and and create this, this relationship within our community that we desire to see. We can do all of that without loving our neighbors. And so when we come to this point, It is important for us to slow down, to stop, and look at what it means to truly love our neighbors. This is so important. Everything else hangs on this right here. And so that's why we need to talk about this this morning. Um, Paul, in his writings in 1 Corinthians 13 about love, said that, that these are the kinds of things that we can do. We can do all these things, but without love, they sound like a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. They're just nice things. They're not exactly what God is looking for us. They're not a a vessel through which he will love our neighbors and use us to love them. This is, this is the hard stuff. This is the, the, this is the heart check. This is going back to, okay, what's really at the core of all this that we're talking about. And this is it. Love your neighbor. And I know this is a struggle for so many of us. Um, we, we, we can easily look into our neighborhoods and love the people that we like. But now we're talking about loving the people that we don't even know yet. And we're talking about loving the people that we know but we really do not like. This is the hard stuff. This is when we get down to really what is at the core of all this. And a while back you heard me talk about agape love. This is agape love that we're talking about. This is a love that pours itself out for the sake of somebody else. This is putting somebody else first. And it's not easy. But God has put a lot of people before us. Our neighbors, our coworkers, fellow students, our spouses, our children... And he's asked us to live out this command, to love our neighbors. And again, these are Jesus' words. This is not my message that I've come up with and said, here's some relevant stuff for us today. This is Jesus saying, love God and love your neighbor. 
And this love is at the core of all of this, and it's got to be addressed. I want to talk just for a second about where this fits into where we are as a church right now, because um, I know this can come across as a little bit confusing. We've been studying the book of First Peter, and we've been knocking it out verse by verse or word by word even sometimes. And, and then all of a sudden we stopped and started doing this. Well, I want you to understand this fits perfectly with where we're at in our study of First Peter, which we'll come right back to. But this is critical that we pause and do this right now. And here's why. Because in the first chapter of First Peter, in the, in the first 11 verses of chapter 2, Peter's laid out our identity, right? Our position. He's talked about that. And he's made it very clear who we are. Chosen race, holy nation, royal priesthood, all of these things. We are beloved. We, are, we have been chosen by God. We are elect exiles. All that stuff he's talked about. And he's built this amazing picture of who we are in Christ. And from there, Peter's going to go into some very practical things about what our purpose is. When we come back to it, we're going to talk about the things that he talks about. We're going to talk about things like honoring the emperor and, and talk about, we're going to talk about our marriages and, and a lot of things that, are, that can very easily get put over here on the, the purpose list, on the spiritual duty list. And once again, I want to get back to this thing in the middle, this perspective that brings us to the point where our purpose is flowing out of our position, where we do these things because of who we are. And in order for that to happen, we need to have this perspective in the middle. And so that's why at this place in the book of First Peter, we pause and we talk about this. And it's just a great way for us to, to lead up to Easter in this, this reminder of this incredible message of what God has done through us for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And what an amazing message that is to get out to the world around us and to give thanks for. And so um, this is what we need. This is what we need to move forward is to make sure that we do this perspective check, that this love is at the core of everything that we do in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, wherever it is, here in this church. This is the love. This is God's agape love that needs to be right at the center of all that we do. I want us to look at the life of the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned this morning. I want us to see some things about him that we maybe don't see um, when we're studying one of his writings or something like that. But um, I, I, want, I want to look at him because he has this amazing balance that's become really clear to me recently. Um, what we know of Paul is that he wrote a whole bunch of books in the Bible, didn't he? I mean, he was prolific. He, he has a significant share in what's in there. And so we hear his writings. And who's he writing to? He's writing to the church. And there's tons of stuff in there for the church because Paul had this deep love for the church. And he had all these words of instruction and encouragement and exhortation for the church. The balance that I want to see this morning is the fact that Paul also had this deep, passionate love for the lost. It drove him. In his role, in his identity as a missionary to the ends of the earth, he balanced words of love and instruction to the church and this deep, crazy, passionate love 
for the lost in the world. And you're going to see that this morning as we go through some of his writings. In your bulletin is an insert that looks like this really simple outline on it where you can fill it in if you want to. And this will, um, this will help you cover our points this morning. There's room to fill in. There's the first word of each point that I'm going to make there. And, um, and you'll fill in the rest as we go if you want to do that. So you can have that out in front of you as we work our way through. Turn to the book of Romans. We're going to start in the book of Romans. We're going to look at one passage in the book of Romans. And then we're going to spend the rest of our time in Paul's letters to the church at Corinth. So look at Romans chapter 8. What an incredible chapter Romans chapter 8 is. It is an absolutely amazing chapter to study. Romans 8. Let's read together verses 31 through 39. Romans 8, 31 through 39. This is what Paul writes, and he's writing about God's love. And you may even have, I've got the heading in here of God's everlasting love, right before verse 31. Romans 8, 31 to 39. This is what Paul writes. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or cancer. As it is written. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that not a beautiful passage? That is an amazing truth. A remarkable bit of encouragement from Paul. This is one of many passages written by Paul that describes his encounter with the love of God. Paul understood God's love. He got it. He experienced God's grace to its fullest. And he was more than equipped to write about God's love and God's grace. God poured out his love on Paul. And when Paul was at his lowest, even when he was at his lowest and he was void of love, when he was hunting down followers of Jesus Christ and throwing them in prison, even then God loved Paul. And so Paul learned to receive openly God's love. It's the first point on your outline. Receive openly Receive openly. This is the first key to loving our neighbors is to receive openly. And this seems really counterintuitive because love gives, right? Love is going outward from us. It starts though. It starts with receiving. To love our neighbors, we must first receive the love that has been offered to us. Why? 
John spelled it out so clear in 1 John 4.19. He simply wrote, we love because he first loved us. That's where it comes from. There's a source to the love that we're demonstrating to our neighbors. We have to connect with that source. We have to receive that love. Loving others begins with accepting the love that God has for us. And it's not just accepting it intellectually and saying, okay, yep, I know that the Bible says that. It's receiving it openly. Paul was a recipient of God's love, and so he loved. And we'll see that as we go. You and I are recipients of God's love, and so we love too, but not without first receiving openly that love that is ours in God through Christ Jesus. There's a question that we have to answer as we look at this, because I think this, this trips us up a lot. I think it trips up many of us, myself included, and this is the question. Is God's love sufficient for us? Is it sufficient for us? Because we spend an awful lot of time looking for it in other places. Looking around us to the people in our lives, to our circumstances, somewhere other than God, we go to find this love that we know that we need, but we look for it in the wrong places. But God's the only source that we have for true agape love. He is sufficient for us. His love is enough for us. It satisfies all of our needs. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you think of yourself, God's unconditional love is available for you. And it's enough. It is sufficient. And it will affect how you love your neighbor or even whether or not you love your neighbor. Don't try to earn his love. Don't try to downplay his love. Don't try to justify his love. Don't try to make things easier on him by giving him reasons to love you. Do not base your reception of his love on what you feel you deserve. Do not allow yourself to think for a second that you can live without it. Do not let yourself believe that your love is enough to give away. It's not. It's not. Not one of us loves perfectly. Not one of us truly loves unconditional. Not one of us has the love that is sufficient for somebody else. Only God. Only God has that love. And we have to receive his love openly so that we can be used as vessels of his love. That his love can flow through us. Let me make this simple by looking at Jesus' statement. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Fully fleshed out, when you go back and look at the original language, love your neighbor in the same manner in which you yourself are being loved by God. That's the love that Jesus is talking about. We're to love like we are being loved. Not by other people, by God. By God, God is loving us with his agape, perfect love. And that love flows into us and overflows out of us. And then we'll truly love our neighbors. But we have to receive his love openly in order for that to happen. Receive God's love openly and regularly so that God can use you to love your neighbor. 
It is not going to work any other way, Chapel Hill. It's just not. As you receive God's love openly, you're going to learn something about God's love. You're going to learn to depend on his love completely. It's the second point. Depend completely on God's love. We cannot manufacture ourselves the kind of love that God is calling us to have for our neighbors. We're just not that good. Even Jesus stated that on his own, he could do nothing. It's the love of God in us that will allow us to accomplish the will of God in our lives. That's part of the oneness that we're to experience with God. And Paul understood this dependence very, very clearly um, in his life. Let's look at some evidence of this. Turn to 1 Corinthians. If you're still in Romans, it's the next book after Romans. The first letter to the church in Corinth that Paul wrote. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, go to verse 26. We'll read to the end of the chapter. This is what Paul wrote. He said, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And here's Paul's backhanded encouragement. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, not in himself. It's not us. We're not the ones that are doing this. We're not the ones that get a big head because we put on some community event and lots of people came. Look what we did. This is God working in and through us. Go to chapter 2, the very next verse after what we just read. First five verses of chapter 2. This is what Paul writes. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. That's not how we picture Paul, is it? That's reality. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Folks, we want people around us to see that this is God's love flowing through us. So that they are not drawn to us, but to him. That dependency has to be there. We have to get that this is God's love flowing through us. Keep going. Second Corinthians now. Go to the next book. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 3 and 4. Paul writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with, listen, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. His comfort to us, which is there if we receive it. His love to For us, which is there if we receive it openly, that becomes the thing with which we love and comfort and demonstrate hospitality and all these things to the other people in our lives. 
Go to chapter 3 in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 6, Paul writes this, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not, <clears throat> not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter of this, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It's not us. We don't get to say that we're doing this. We don't have the power to do what God wants to see happen in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our lives. It's all Him. And we just lay ourselves before Him, open and ready and available to be used by Him as His vessel. We depend on Him. This is part of that perspective thing. We know our position. We know that we're loved by God. And we know that we've been commanded by God to love others. But in that middle, in that perspective piece is that dependency. It is God's love for us that makes this possible. And we've got to declare openly day after day after day, God, I depend on you. The third key to loving our neighbors is for us to spend generously. Spend generously. And let me explain what that means. Uh, Jesus is our ultimate uh, picture of this, our, our model of this. Stay, if, you're, if you didn't close your Bible like I did, stay in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, <clears throat> verse 9. This is Paul, again, writing to the church in Corinth. And this is what he writes about Christ and how he spent generously. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and boy was Jesus rich where he came from, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus became poor. Jesus spent himself. He poured himself out. He took the lowliest of places in life for our sake so that we can become rich. This is the model that Paul was working with. This is the model that we're working with when it comes to spending generously. Jesus did it. And Paul modeled this beautifully. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Over just a few chapters, chapter 12. Um, I want you to see this. This is something that Paul wrote that I discovered for the first time recently. I've read through this before, but all of a sudden this time I stopped and stayed. And I want you to hear his words. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15. Listen to the first sentence that he writes in this verse. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That is agape love, is it not? I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Um, there's a devotional book, an old one called My Utmost for His Highest, and I got into it this week. Um, it's written by a guy named Oswald Chambers, and there was this entry for this past Thursday that spoke directly to Paul's words here, and I want you to hear some of it. This is what Oswald Chambers wrote about that verse, 2 Corinthians 12:15. He said this, When the Spirit of God has shed abroad the love of God in our hearts... 
We begin deliberately to identify ourselves with Jesus Christ's interests in other people. And Jesus Christ is interested in every kind of man there is. We have no right in Christian work to be guided by our affinities. This is one of the biggest tests of our relationship to Jesus Christ. The delight of sacrifice is that I lay down my life for my friend. And he puts capital F on friend. Follow that. The delight of sacrifice is that I lay down my life for my friend. Not fling it away, but deliberately lay my life out for him and his interests in other people. Not for a cause. Paul spent himself for one purpose only, that he might win men to Jesus Christ. Paul attracted to Jesus all the time, never to himself. He said, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul became a sacramental personality. Wherever he went, Jesus Christ helped himself to Paul's life. Many of us are after our own ends. And Jesus Christ cannot help himself to our lives. If we are abandoned to Jesus, we have no ends of our own to serve. So powerfully put. This is what it means to spend and be spent for someone else. This is agape love. Receive openly, depend completely, spend generously, and pursue Confidently, pursue confidently. Having recently, uh, or excuse me, having received openly the love that God, the love that God offers us all the time, declaring our dependence on God's love to flow through us all the time, and spending and being spent by Jesus all the time, we take up our call to pursue the lost in this world all the time, daily. And we pursue them with great confidence. Back to Paul again. 1 Corinthians. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 31 to 33. Down at the end of chapter 10. That's what Paul writes. Familiar verse. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. In everything that we do, in everything that we do, we're to do it for God's glory and for God's plan, for the sake of the lost, in order that they may be saved. In every situation we face in life, we're presented with opportunities to love the people around us. And you know those situations are there. They're around every one of us. Or to pursue people. Or to pursue the daily practice of loving people. We are love, as John stated. And to love is our goal and our passion. God loves through us. We passionately make ourselves available for God to help himself to our lives and love others through us. That passion ought to drive us to the point where we refuse to let anything stand in our way when it comes to loving our neighbors. And so there's the question. What's standing in our way? What is it that's standing in your way? 
What's keeping you from truly loving the people around you? What's keeping you from calling what you know God has called you, or from doing what you know God has called you to do? Um, You know, you think back to the parable of the Good Samaritan, how he came along the path and discovered this man who had been beat up and robbed. As Jesus presented that parable, he just wrapped in there all kinds of obstacles that could have been there. There were cultural obstacles for this Samaritan and, and who he was allowed to associate with. And Jesus painted that picture of the others who crossed to the other side of the road and passed by this man who had been beat up. There were convenience obstacles. This guy had to stop and go out of his way to do what he did. There were personal safety obstacles. He was in one of the most dangerous places on this path where this kind of thing happened all the time. And he put his safety aside and he helped there were financial obstacles he's the one who put the guy up and took care of him paid the bill came back to take care of whatever was left there were all kinds of obstacles but the samaritan acted without being set back by the obstacles he spent and was spent what's standing in your way standing in the way of you loving the people around you what's standing in my way uh, we've identified some things previously we've identified selfishness and we've identified pride in this series the past two weeks what's next call it out name it you discover what it is in your life that's keeping this from happening i've got to do the same thing we need to join with paul in in confidently pushing through our obstacles and becoming all things to all people so that we can be used by god to win some this morning i want us to call out another one of our biggest obstacles um you you probably know this one yourself fear fear is one of the things that almost all of us i will say face when it comes to that idea of of sharing our faith with our neighbors when when you talk to me this has been going on my whole life when someone talks to me about evangelism and about an opportunity to go and share your faith i get what i call the evangelism not I get this thing in my stomach that that is fear. There's no other way to identify it. It is fear. And I have to call it as that. I have to identify the fact that I'm afraid. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that fear? It's real. We're afraid of lots of things when it comes to this. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of being ridiculed. We're afraid of being embarrassed. We're afraid of ignorance, of not being able to answer all the questions. We're afraid that we might lose a relationship if we try to present the gospel to someone. And on and on the list goes of all the things that we're afraid of when it comes to doing this thing that God's called us to do, to loving our neighbors. What are you afraid of? And for me, uh, as an introvert, I'm, I'm afraid of people. I'm just going to be honest about that. People scare me, period. I get intimidated around pretty much everybody. Because I have a fear of man. I am afraid I'm going to be embarrassed. I am afraid that I'm going to come across as the idiot. I'm not an intellectual. That's why I love it when Paul says he chose the foolish things of the world. He picked me. (laughs) What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Back to John who talked about the fact that God is love and as he is, so are we in this world. That means we are love so through the spirit 
God wrote through John these great words in 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. I want you to hang on to that today. If we're not receiving God's perfect love, then fear will be a major obstacle for us being used by God to have his love flow through us into the lives of the people around us. God's love is the only thing that can destroy the obstacles that stand in our way. God's love is the only thing that can perfectly push out that horrible fear that I have of people. If I love them the way Paul talked about love, that fear diminishes and can actually be removed. Receive God's love openly. Depend on God's love completely. Spend his love generously. Pursue the objects of his love confidently. In Chapel Hill, it all comes down to this. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Typically, uh, the last couple of weeks, what I've done is refer to a, a, a resource that's available to you online or in the library or something like that. I've told you, okay, here's where you can go to dig deeper into this. You know what? You don't get a resource this week because you already have him. There is nothing that we need beyond the love of God and his spirit in our lives causing his love to flow out through us. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. It comes down to this. I'm going to invite the ushers to come and the worship team as well. Um, we're going to take our offering, and this is just something that we do to, um, to give towards the ministry of this church. This is how we support what's happening at Chapel Hill Church as we continue to reach out into the communities around us. This offering goes towards all of that. And so we collect this every week, and, and God blesses it and uses it for his purposes. Um, I'm going to pray. Um, after I pray, we, uh, we're going to transition into our potluck. For those of you who are sticking around for our Mexican fiesta. Smells really good out there. Um, and here's some instruction. We're going to transform this room again. We're going to do what Chapel Hill does really well and shift from service to lunch. Um, and so if you can, can help with that, that'd be great. The chairs need to be stacked. Stacks of six chairs. If they're going out of the way, have those stacks of six facing the wall. Um, that makes it easier for our facilities team to set up during the week for what they need to do. Um, tables are going to come in from over here. They'll roll in, set up, have chairs put around them and then to eat go out those back doors you'll find the food out in the lobby bring it this way and come through these doors back in okay simple as that let's pray and praise god for his amazing love for us father you you are perfect and holy and loving you are a perfect father our perfect shepherd you are everything that we need your love is sufficient God, we want to just receive that love again this morning. We know that you want to pour it into us because you are love and that's what you do. So God, we make ourselves available to receive your love openly this morning. 
to depend on that love. To spend and be spent generously by you. And to go after this world that you love so much. Confidently knowing full well that whatever obstacle stands before us, you are sufficient to help us overcome it. To remove it from our lives. To change us. Even fear we know that your love can cast it out. So God, do in us what needs to be done. Let your love flow into us and through us into our neighborhoods as we love our neighbors. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for the time that we're about to share. Bless the meal and the fellowship, the conversation that's going to happen. We lift ourselves up to you again today and ask for your will to be done and your kingdom to come. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.